Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Have you been reconciled to God? And if so, how would you know that? Well, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is going to teach us in this evening's study. So with that said, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Romans and chapter 5. The book of Romans and chapter 5. Now, in these first 11 verses that we're going to study, we're going to see foundational truth. That is truth that every believer, if he has a hope of being brought into the kingdom of God and experiencing God's presence for eternity and knowing the promises and the blessings of God, such a person must affirm and agree with what Paul is sharing in this passage. So we're going to be looking at basic truth in regard to justification, reconciliation, salvation, and experiencing God's glory. So look with me to verse 1. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. He says, Therefore, having been justified, and the term is from faith or out of faith. When we walk in faith, and that means when we receive the gospel, the consequence of that is that God justifies us. What does that mean? that God deals with the problem of sin from a kingdom standpoint. God deals with sin perfectly, that our sin is forgiven. We'll talk a moment about what is the element that brings it about from God. But he deals with our sinfulness so that God does not see sin in our life, but he sees the very righteousness of his son. And that gives us assurance. So once more, Therefore, having been justified by faith, peace, and this is emphatic here, peace, that is that intimacy, that relationship, an eternal covenantal relationship with God has been established by faith, faith in the work of Messiah. So he says, having been justified, therefore, by faith, peace, we have with God, and we didn't do it ourselves. Now, at the beginning of this verse, where it says, therefore having been justified, it's in the passive meaning, we didn't justify ourselves, but we received that justification through a different source. And there's only one source of justification, and that is Messiah. He is the Redeemer the justifier, the savior, without him, there is no hope. There was only one way that justification came about, and that's through the cross. So we read, we have peace with God through our Lord, Messiah Yeshua, verse 2. Through whom also the access we have. Now this is access to God. 
And what is this access good for? Every godly thing, every righteous thing, everything that is connected to the will of God. Now, what Paul is revealing is this. One who has been justified, he wants to see sin removed from his life, not just the eternal consequence of the sin, that punishment, but he also doesn't want to live in sin. And he wants to serve God doing the will of God. And therefore, he realizes this. In the same way that we were unable to justify ourselves, we had to be justified. In order to be able to carry out God's will, likewise, we need assistance from him. We need access to his provision. And it's only, and don't miss this, it is only when we have been justified by faith that we have access to God's provision in order that we can serve him faithfully, carrying out his purposes, his desires, his will in our life. So he says, we have access by faith into, and what is this, this source of provision? Well, it's the grace of God. Now, again, I've shared many times that if one only thinks of God's grace in regard to salvation, that is a too narrow understanding of the grace of God. God's grace does save us. Through God's grace, we find that forgiveness. We find what we talked about earlier, that reconciliation with God. But God's grace ought not be limited only to salvation, only to establishing that relationship. God's grace, as it works in our life, will move us, compel us to do God's will. So there's a very easy test that you can take. If a person has been saved, doesn't matter who he is, if a person has been saved, that person is going to be interested in God's will doing God's will, performing it, not for salvation, but because he has been saved, because he knows the goodness of God. He knows that God's will is the best plan for one's life. So he's going to be committed, and that's what the grace of God is going to bring about and enable him to do. So he says, we have access by faith into this grace, in which we stand. Now, again, grammar is important. This word for standing is in the perfect, which means the moment one believes. Now, for me, I came to faith back in 1982. At that moment, the moment that I believed, I stood before God in a manner that God would receive me. And that's true now, many, many years later, and it will continue to be true forever and ever. So that grace is sufficient for all of eternity. By this grace, he says, we stand, and also because of this confidence and because we know the outcome of God's will, it says, also we boast in the hope. Now, there's an important word. In fact, in this fifth chapter, what we're studying in these first 11 verses, we see so many rich theological terms. Justification, grace. 
we're going to see reconciliation. And now we see that wonderful word, hope. Again, we need to remember something. Hope is never based upon desires that originate with a human being. Meaning this, I desire this, I want this, and now I'm going to bring this before God to see if he will grant it to me. That is futile. That is not the action, the behavior of one of faith. We see that hope is connected to the promises of God. So what can I have hope in? What should I have a sure expectation? That God, as I move along his purposes, his plan, as I walk in his will, therefore, based upon being in the will of God, I can have the expectations of God's promises, what God has said that he is going to do in the life of a believer. So this hope, and notice where it brings us. Look again at our text. He says that we have this, this access by faith to the grace of God by which we stand and we boast in the hope. And here's the hope. The hope of the glory of God. Now, when we talk about the glory of God, what should come into your mind? One thing that should come into your mind is this, his kingdom. If you look, for example, to the book of Zechariah in chapter 14, it speaks about the kingdom of God, and it mentions how there's going to be a light. Now, many English Bibles don't even translate the, the adjective that describes this type of light. It's a unique light, and that light is the glory of God. So there's an inherent relationship, a strong, strong connection between the kingdom of God and the manifestation of his glory. God's glory is seen in his presence, and we know something. It says in that passage in Zechariah 14 that God is going to be one, his name is going to be one, and here's the key. You and I, those who will be part of his kingdom, we will recognize God. That means this, we will experience him. We will be in his presence. And his presence is a glorious place to inhabit. This is what Paul is referring to. Move on now to, to verse 3. He says, but not only, and the implication is, not only the things that we've studied, this wonderful reconciliation having been justified by, by, by faith, in the grace of God, having access to the very provision of God, his power, knowing the, the perspective of God, all of these things he's promising. He says, once more, verse 3, but not only, and the implication is this, but also we boast. And this is something that, that probably you and I don't boast in. And what is that? He says, not only this, but also, or we could translate that word, Rather, rather also in the tribulations, and that phrase, in the tribulations, is plural. We know something. One who has been reconciled to God becomes a friend of God. And when we are in friendship with God, here's what John teaches us in 1 John. We will become an enemy of the world. And therefore, because the world, 
does not want the kingdom of God. The world does not want the changes that God says are good changes. Because of that, there is going to be conflict and we will experience tribulation. A very important verse. Matthew, or excuse me, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 14 and verse 22. It's talking about believers. And it says, you know, we are going to enter into the kingdom of God. And it says, and it is necessary through much tribulation that we enter into the kingdom of God. Now, that tribulation going through it does not earn us merit. It is not part of earning our salvation. That would be absolute heresy. But he's simply saying that before the kingdom of God is established, there is going to be great persecution for believers and that we're going to experience tribulation. Realize something. We were never promised not to suffer persecution and tribulation. What we have been promised is this, and we'll see it in a moment towards the end of our study. We have been promised not to experience the wrath of God. So look at the scripture. He says, but also we boast in the tribulations. Why? Knowing, and this is an experiential word, knowing that tribulation, endurance produces. Now here again, we would probably say, and maybe most Bibles do, produces endurance. That endurance, that perseverance to maintain walking in the will of God despite what we're suffering. But the order is different in the Greek text where it puts endurance before this producing. So we know that tribulation, he says, endurance produces. And endurance is good. Why? Because it's a process that we're talking about. He writes that uh, uh, not only this, but look now at verse, verse 4. But endurance, and the implication is, from the earlier verse, it also produces, it also has an outcome, a result. And what is that? Well, many Bibles will say the word character. But here's the problem. Literally, this is the word where we get the English word document. It is related to the Greek concept of proof. And what he's saying is this. As we endure in the midst, what's the context? Tribulations. As we endure faithfully, consistently, walking in God's will, despite of what we're experiencing, because of that, that documents our faith. To God, no. It does to others. In other words, he's talking about how this perseverance gives us a testimony. And then it says, but this perseverance and this uh, uh, proof, this evidence of our faith, it also is an implication. It, it produces what? Well, the word here is, and we mentioned it a few minutes ago, it produces hope. Now, hope that is seen and testified to. What do I mean by that? This is it. When someone sees you, and it's all this testimony that's so foundational in this, when someone sees that you are persevering, enduring persecution, suffering, tribulation, walking faithfully with God, they're going to think, why is that? And the reason is this. When someone perseveres on a course, 
It's because they want to get to the objective, that destination. They want to arrive. Why? They have a desire. They're willing to endure, suffer, uh, uh, do whatever's necessary to arrive at that place. And that testifies to others how wonderful God's plans in the future, his kingdom plans are for his people. It is a testimony. And then keep reading. He says here, verse, verse 5, and hope is, is not something that is going to cause us to be ashamed. Why? Because we have this hope. We know the character of God, the promises of God, the, the blessings of God. Therefore, we're not going to be ashamed because what are we experiencing? We are experiencing the love of God. This love of God which has been poured out into our hearts. Through whom? It says, through whom the Holy Spirit whom has been given to us. Now, we see the Holy Spirit. And whenever there's a reference to the Holy Spirit, we learn from, from Isaiah chapter 59, beginning in verse 20 and 21, a very well-known, and by the way, that passage is read every day in the synagogue in the liturgical service. And that passage is that Messiah is a redeemer, the redeemer. He is going to redeem us. The outcome of this redemption is going to be an eternal covenantal relationship with God. And the evidence of this eternal covenant is, and this is found in Isaiah, is the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God, He is going to move in our life. And He is going to be the foundation of everything that is good, everything that is godly, everything that is righteous, everything that pleases God in our life is the outcome of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Verse, verse 6. For still, Messiah, us being weak. So Messiah, despite the fact that we were weak, meaning we were, were not uh, strong in the faith. We weren't being examples of, of individuals that God was, what were well, God was well pleased with. It says, for yet Messiah, us being weak. But what happens? According to the time, the season, and this was, of course, a season that, that God has determined, in behalf of the ungodly, that's you and me. So us being weak spiritually, being unacceptable is another way to think of this. Us still being in that condition, nothing praiseworthy in our life, nothing of, of righteousness, but rather ungodliness. And it says, yet us still being in that condition, what happens? At God's timing, he did something. And that timing is seen and revealed by the prophets. Messiah came at the right time, at a discernible time, according to prophecy, when, when he did something, and it says, for the ungodly, he died. Verse 7. He says, for rare. Now that's something, this word means something that is very uh, uh, rare, infrequent, not common at all. He says, for rare, in behalf of, of a righteous one someone would die but then he says for behalf in behalf of a good one perhaps 
someone also would dare to die, meaning this. If someone is really good, perhaps there would be someone who would be, be willing to lay down his life for that person, live sacrificially. But he says, this is rare. But this is exactly what we're going to see Messiah did for you and me. He says, verse, verse 8, But God, God demonstrated his love for us. Now, let me just go off on a tangent and say this. We as believers are called to follow that example. And that is to demonstrate our love for others. This is what, and many Christians don't know this, but this is what the Torah teaches. The Torah teaches us all those commandments, 613 commandments in the first five books of the Bible. Those commandments teach us how to love, how to demonstrate love. And that's why we read verse, verse 8. But God demonstrated his love because us still being sinners, Messiah, in behalf of us, died. Now, I translated that most literally. Why? Because these words spell out exactly the gospel. What it is that good news that God has, has placed into this world in Messiah, his only begotten son, that he fulfilled for us. So look again. Because God, and it's the God, the only God, he demonstrated his love for us that while still being sinners, and that's you and me, us, we still being sinners, Messiah in behalf of us, he died. Verse 9, therefore much more. Now this is where it gets just glorious for us to understand this. He says, therefore much more rather having justified, and that could be understand making righteous. Now, how? Having been justified now in his blood. So you and I, he has made righteous. Us being justified, how? In his blood. And whenever that term blood appears in the scripture, we should be thinking about what we mentioned earlier. That term blood has to do with redemption. So it was through death that one experiences redemption. And that death was the Holy Son of God who died for a most holy people. And who's that? You and me. All those of humanity that are humble enough and wise enough to confess we have sinned, that we have fallen short of the glory of God, that we are in need and absolute dependence upon God's mercy, that we need to receive God's grace. And as we learned in chapter 4, based upon Torah truth found in the book of Genesis, the only way that you can receive and have access to the grace of God which justifies, which reconciles, which saves, which redeems, the only way is through faith. That's what we learned in chapter 4 from the life of, of Abraham. So look again. He says, now, having been justified by his blood, and it says, 
also being saved, meaning all these things we're not doing, we are receiving. It's in the passive. We simply, by faith, faith is the cause. And when we have faith in what Messiah has done, that work by which he shed his blood, that shedding the blood redeems and it brings about justification. That same word can be understood in a, an accurate sense of being made righteous in God's sight. And it says, having been saved through him, through his work, from what? Here it is, from the wrath. And the implication is the wrath of God. So this scripture makes it very clear. We are not saved from tribulation. We are not saved from earthly suffering, from persecution from the enemies. Quite the contrary. Based upon what we've learned, we're supposed to be people that boast, that, that, that praise God, that exult in our suffering, in being persecuted for our faith. As the scripture says, count it all for joy when, when you suffer for righteousness. So we are called. It says earlier in another portion of scripture, that Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, you know, this suffering is why God gave us grace, not just the grace that saves, but the grace that, that propels us in the will of God, that causes us, as we talked about, to endure. So we are only, the promise that we have is that we have been saved through him, his work on that cross, that we have been saved from the wrath. Verse 10, he says, for if being enemies... We have been reconciled to God through his death, the death of his son. Much more. Now he's going to tell us a wonderful truth. He says, since being enemies of God, we were reconciled to him through his death, the death of his son. Much more. Being reconciled. He says, yes, we've been reconciled. That is that relationship healed. But he says, also being saved in his life. Now, what's it speaking about? Well, you look at most of the commentators, they will tell you this being saved by his life refers to his resurrection. So his death brought about reconciliation, but his life, his resurrection, that evidence brings about salvation in this sense. The salvation he's talking about is the victory, the victory to live in obedience. That's why we're still here, to demonstrate our salvation. And that word salvation, we can understand it in certain contexts as victory. So we have been saved by, by God through his grace. It was the death of his son that reconciled us to God the Father. But it's that resurrection that testifies to victory. The resurrection always points to victory. And now look, look at our last verse, verse 11. But not only, meaning not only these wonderful things, but also we boast uh, in God through our Lord, Messiah Yeshua, that through him now we have received, and this is something that he wants us to be left with, that we have received reconciliation. Over and over, and this is that foundational truth, that we have been reconciled to God. We are his people. He has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. 
That is the good news of the gospel. Praise him. Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Shalom from Israel.